This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Seeks to be defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Good to be with you all today. Um, really like standing down here. Feel like I'm with you all. Um, so yeah, it's good to see you all today. We're going to spend some time uh, in one of those stories in the Bible that I think people sometimes just kind of coast through. It can be a little confusing at first read. Jesus comes across as being a little rude. Uh, he calls a woman a dog. It seems like so. Anytime you see something in scripture that doesn't seem to completely align with other things you see in scripture. So in this case, Jesus coming across as pretty rude, calling a woman this name doesn't really line up with how we see him typically approaching people who are humble and on the margins. So this is a good uh, spot for us to spend a little time today doing a little bit of extra work and seeing what is actually going on. And I'll tell you where this story was once really troubling for me, I actually have found to be very encouraging, edifying, and also very challenging. So before we read this, uh, just prior to this narrative we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has been debating with the Pharisees and the scribes about all these issues related to God's commandments. What is it to actually break them? What are they really meant for? And right on the heels of this passage where Jesus is just dunking on the Pharisees who are driven by their own self-righteousness and pride, he leaves Jewish territory and kind of has this opposite encounter with this woman. And so with that, if you have your Bibles and if you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, we are going to read together verses 21 through 28. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him, and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first thing we learn about this woman, the first thing that she's identified as, is that she's a foreigner. Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite. And in the parallel narrative in Mark, he calls her a Syrophoenician. So which is it? Well, the answer is both because of where she is from. Both are correct. But which description is chosen is chosen by that author 
to intentionally make their audience realize that they are supposed to think of her as an outsider. So with where this woman is from, she's from this region where the Canaanites had historically been pushed northward by the Jews. And at that time, politically speaking, that was Phoenicia, part of Syria. So Matthew's account, which we're working from today, is written for and with the Jewish people in mind. So he chooses to use the Canaanite part of her identity because for the Jewish people, if you've read the Old Testament, Canaanites, they're bad news, right? They're their enemies. Mark's account is written with the Romans in mind. And so he chooses to use the part of her identity that ties her to the Greeks so that they would think first of her engaging in paganism. So both authors are making sure that those reading understand that this woman's presence is the presence of someone who is a despised enemy, one whose religious belief puts her outside of their circle. She's identified as an offense, an opposition. Here are the boundaries that God has worked within when it comes to his people, and she is not there. And this woman knows she's an outsider as she approaches this group of men. She's approaching them as someone who's marginalized three times over by her gender, by her ethnicity, and by her religion. That she would even attempt to approach this group of Jewish men is really unthinkable. But she's not willing to allow human-made barriers to keep her apart from encountering God because she thinks God can help her with her need. I think she's driven by a lot of courage, but we do see here that she's also driven out of desperation. She has this intense need, but it's not for herself. She's a mother. Her daughter is not well. I think we can rightly assume that she has already tried to get her daughter help. She wouldn't push through such extreme social boundaries if this was her first try. She was likely running out of options. And I think the fact that she's willing to approach them speaks to how her daughter is in a horrible state. This mother is going to do whatever she can to help her be restored and healed. So imagine the anxiety, the fear, the worry, the concern for someone she deeply loves who's helpless and vulnerable. So she comes as an advocate for her child, and she goes to Jesus not in a way that feels very uh, socially appropriate at that time. Verse 22, just then came a Canaanite woman from that region and kept crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. I love that she doesn't adhere to what is proper. She's not worried about causing too much of a disruption. She's not held back by her concern over coming across too pushy, too needy, or too forward. She doesn't make sure she's being ladylike, especially for that time. She doesn't make sure she's staying in the background or staying quiet or waiting for an opportune moment. She needs help. 
And she somehow has faith. She believes that Jesus is the one who can do it. He's it. So she throws aside appropriate, proper social conduct, disregarding what others think of her in order to do what she has to do to get his attention. Starts following them around, calling out after them. Again, these people she really should not even be approaching. Trailing them, yelling out. Imagine the scene in her emotions. Have mercy on me. I need your help. My daughter's tormented. Pay attention to me. I'm going to be so loud and keep showing up to get what I need. It's what it takes sometimes. I appreciate her so much here. This persistent appeal to God for what she knows he has the capacity to do for her. And to go with fear, with anxiety, to be laid bare in front of people who are your enemies. And she fights through barriers created by others and is persistent to get to God. I feel like for me, if the story stopped there, I would have enough to meditate upon and be challenged by. So she tries to capture Jesus's attention, we see. And at first, he doesn't reply. It's like he's ignoring her. He lets this go on for a while. And then he answers, but he's sort of just answering out loud. He's not necessarily addressing her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So her loud, obnoxious, inappropriate actions get the attention of Jesus. He doesn't respond right away. He lets a very uncomfortable situation, especially for the disciples, which we'll circle back to, she lets that linger a bit. I almost wonder if Jesus wanted the disciples to feel the discomfort of this moment. Jesus says, I came for the Israelites, I came for the Jews. I came for those who are deemed women as your enemies, not for you. Now, we know, because Jesus is very clear on multiple occasions elsewhere, that he did come for all. So why would he be saying this, this way? Something that's good for us to bear in mind when we read stories in scripture, I think especially stories where Jesus is at work, is that we need to step into it, the fullness of the setting and recognize the fullness of what's going on. Who else is there? Where are they? Creating the scene is vital especially times like this, because the point can sometimes lie in those particular details. We can never think of stories like this as if they're in a vacuum. So with that, scholars agree that this exchange is more for the disciples here. Jesus is Jewish. God has been focused on that people group. So there's this idea for them about what circle he is supposed to be operating within. So he says kind of what they're probably thinking. He's here for Israel. He's here for us. He's here for this group. She's not in that. But he is about to upset their idea of who he has come for. So first he says, I'm only for the last sheep of the house of Israel supposed to be for the Jews only, right? But 
because she's wonderful. This doesn't deter her. She pushes her way right to him. She kneels down, Lord, help me. Verse 26, he answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So Jesus has her engage with him. And with who's listening, he uses a common derogatory term that the Jewish people use for people outside of their particular community. Texts demonstrate the terms Gentile dogs, infidel dogs, and later they'll say Christian dogs, these unclean scavengers. Woman, this is who people see you as. These people right around you. They don't think you're worth, then, my time and my attention. You're not the kind of person they think I should be interacting with for a few different reasons. They don't think that what I am offering to them in the way that I am God is something that I should be giving to you. He's nodding in this comment to the self-righteousness, the pride, the ignorance of his own people, of his own disciples and followers, which is so beautifully contrasted with her posture of humility and openness. And I love how in her response, she joins Jesus in this conversation and utilizes the exact same term. Verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Yeah, well, even us outsiders, even us infidels, even us who are thought of that way, we still need what you have, us dogs here. I also feel like this little bit of the empowerment of her taking back a term that has been used for her. I'm going to take it back here. And the humility adopted in this contrast with the pride of the people saying she's an outsider. Hey, we'll take what we can get. We need it. We need you. Some scholars say this exchange is almost has a humorous tone, which is how I like to think of it. It's almost like Jesus and the woman are in on the same joke. So now when I read this, because I always like to envision these things, I almost see Jesus with this twinkle in his eye and this woman catching it and being like, oh, I, I know what you're doing here. Let me match and meet you in this conversation. And she's wonderfully fast to pick up on it and reply. And Jesus' response is one of admiration and affirmation of her in front of everyone. Don't miss again. Who's paying attention to all of this? In verse 28, then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Jesus sees in her a faith that's not confined by religious pride or nationalism or even just judgmental hearts and attitudes. He sees in this woman a faith that disregards the constructed barriers, a faith that works through obstacles, a faith that is humble and eager. And he says, that's a great faith. In front of everyone who has these ideas about her, and about what his abilities should be confined by, he pays her a compliment that would have showed all of them up. 
I wonder if they felt a little embarrassed or just uneasy in this situation. And he says, I'll answer your request. I'll do what you want. Daughter's healed, free, restored. And the way that Jesus dignifies and lifts up this woman, an outsider and one marginalized, how she must have felt in that moment. This reply is almost like, hey, everyone, this is how it's done. Pay attention to her posture of faith, her follow through. Pay attention to what she seems to understand about how I work that you have totally missed, even though you have been with me. Who am I here for, disciples? What marks the great faith? Consider her. Consider what this woman that you had judgments, prejudice against, just showed you about how I transcend your boundaries. Consider what she was willing to break through and not let hinder her from encountering and experiencing me. Disciples, she's the example here. And the disciples could have completely missed this whole thing if they had had their way in the beginning. Let's go back to verse 23. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. The disciples at this point should have had a pretty good foundational knowledge of who Jesus was, of his purpose, his character, and his ways. And with that, they have already developed some of their own expectations and ideas. Expectations and ideas of how he operated. But like them, we should always take care to not think that we have how God operates completely figured out. Because if we think that's the case, we've kind of allowed our own opinions about what God should be doing and how to sort of take over. And when that happens, our own pride and self-righteousness and prejudice will be what governs our hearts and our minds. And then this could happen. We could completely miss where God may be moving because of who we're shutting out and what we're shutting out. If the disciples had had their way here, they would have missed the active presence of God doing something above and beyond what they could ever imagine. Because they have their own ideas of who God is supposed to be and how he's supposed to operate. Our striving as those who know and belong to God should be to better understand him and his ways so that we can be engaged with how he's working and moving in the world. But getting in our way sometimes is going to be the ways we've conditioned ourselves to see other people. Getting in the way sometimes can be our own bias, self-righteousness, and opinions. Getting in the way sometimes can be putting too much stock in ourselves and limiting our view of God's capacity. When Jesus interacts with someone like this woman here, it reminds me of just him flipping the table. Look at how nicely you have so much about me categorized and laid out when it comes to your beliefs and how I work. You're missing the point. 
You're missing me by what you've constructed and the barriers you have placed on how my grace operates. Be careful, friends, who you completely write off. Not talking about, okay, hear me here, not talking about not being wise and discerning when people are clearly in sin, operating against God's heart, and not talking about continuing to put yourself in situations that are harmful where you're not treated with dignity and care. It's not what I'm talking about, but I am talking about where you have placed boundaries and limits on the capacity of Jesus to work in certain people, where you have your own constructed frameworks and bias, or maybe even just hangups. Because if you're just operating in that, you're limiting your vision of the power of God, and you could be shutting yourself off from encountering the fullness of the Spirit's work. Not sure if you have anyone in that category. Well, verse 23, where the disciples are urging him, commentators say this language is supposed to communicate that she's a nuisance to them. They're annoyed. They're really annoyed. She's being obnoxious to the point they just want her to go away, shut off, have her be muted. So who are your nuisances? Who do you block out, not because you need to protect yourself, well, who are you blocking out because you just don't want to deal with or consider them? Something about them just kind of rubs you the wrong way. Something, something about them challenges your own neatly constructed narratives. Something about them brings up things in you that you don't want to have to work through or deal with. Who have you written off unfairly? Who have you been functioning as if they are forsaken? Who do you refuse to see the image of God in? We have to take care to not let our hearts go so hard toward others. We also in this just need to remember how much of God's mercy that we have needed. Romans 5 says, while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God. Psalm 133 and 4 says, If you kept an account of our iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so you may be revered. If God kept an account of all you have done, that I have done, that was not rightly reflective of his heart and the good he created you for, you couldn't even stand. But while we were outsiders, enemies, he brought us in. Remember where you come from as you consider those who feel like an opposition, a nuisance, an annoyance to you, to the point that you have shut out where God may be working. Take care to not set your own boundaries for the reach of God's power. There's an image of this that I personally have been kind of stuck on in my season that I want to note for us as a closing example today. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. So in Acts chapter 1, at this point, Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit is coming he has ascended, 
And this is a time when there's sort of this in-between. There's a lot up in the air. He's gone. What's the spirit he's talking about? When is the spirit actually coming? With what they had all been through, they were working probably through a lot of fear and uncertainty. And it is at this point we have what happens here in Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let me read that last part again. Including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let me tell you why I keep getting stuck in this spot. If there is anyone that would have been valid for Mary to say, I cannot forgive them. I'm done with them. If there's anyone that would have been valid for Mary to say, I am not going to be in community with them. I'm not going to trust them ever again. They're toxic. God's work can't reach there. Is it not most of the disciples? Not very long before this, during probably the most agonizing and painful part of her life, in the life of her child, they bounced. They abandoned him, threw him under the bus. They were supposed to be his people, his inner circle, and they were out. Have you ever thought about how Jesus's mother felt about them? Jesus's mother, who did hang around and endure the torture of watching him go through all of that, She should have nothing to do with them, and I would understand. She could think God's mercy can't reach them after that. They abandoned the Son of God, and I would understand why she would feel that way. But here they are together. I think there's a reason that they are so specifically named here in the same place. I feel like we're almost supposed to read this and go, wait, what? How is this possible? And this phrasing, this continually united in prayer, it's one accord, one mind. So they're not just hanging out in the same vicinity. They're on the same page. They're devoted. They're entrusting themselves to one another in unity. They're in the same family. They're on the same team. And because of this, Mary, the disciples, the women and the men who follow Jesus in unity are at the ready to experience the arrival of the Spirit. What would have been missed of God's movement for her if Mary had written them off, been unwilling to forgive and move forward if she had created a boundary around God's ability to redeem and use people? What would she have missed if she had let her heart go so hard? But instead, she's there experiencing the movement of the God and the start of the church right alongside them. That's powerful. So friends, 
Consider this Canaanite woman in Mary's posture of humility. Consider their examples of great faith and the way that they lead us here. Embrace the ways of the Spirit whose capacity for grace and mercy surpasses your ability and your imagination. And let's have a vision for a greater capacity, God's power when it comes to others, especially those who are in a tough spot for us. Let's be vigilant to move through our boundaries and barriers so that we can be freed up, open, and at the ready when our God works. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a grace and mercy that operates at a level that is beyond what our minds can understand. We thank you for the way that you have extended that to us. And I pray for each of us here in the ways that we may have built up walls when it comes to the work of your spirit with other people. Help us, Father, to have humble hearts there so that we don't miss what you may be doing, what you may have us, um, what you may want us to be open toward. Father, help us to even see where those spots are so that we also don't miss out on who else is in the family with us. We thank you for your kindness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.